When your nation's bounded on three sides by the rocky coast of the Irish Sea and on the other side by England, there's probably going to be some bad blood with the English in your history. But I find Wales is a great way to get a taste of Celtic culture in Britain. And it's just a short ride from London. We're joined now on Travel with Rick Steves by my favorite guide to Wales. I first met Martin Delandovitz on a tour of the magnificent Carnarvon Castle. He's been guiding visitors there for years. Martin's taught me a lot about what it means to be Welsh. Martin, nice to have you back. Hi, Rick. So, Martin, how is Wales the same, and how is it different from English culture? Well, it's different in many ways. I mean, for a start, it's Celtic, if you like. That's pretty fundamental. Yes. Uh, Now, where I come from in the North Carnarvon is the, how can you say, you have the greatest proportion of Welsh speakers in Wales. It's it's over 95% of people use Welsh as their first language where I live. See, now that is really striking to me today. Yes. 95% of the people in your town speak Welsh first. Yes. And they'll speak English to a tourist, but you prefer when you go to the grocery store to speak in Welsh. That's right. Now, the reason for that is that uh, if you go to Gwynedd, I always say of Wales that we started with nothing and we still have most of it. Now, Gwynedd is, um, let's say it's mountainous. And that's a state in the north of Wales? Yes, it's uh, a county. It doesn't, it doesn't give much, as it were. The, the landscape is un, unforgiving. It's not economically yielding. And so the people that live there, nobody really wanted it. The Romans didn't really want it, and even Edward I didn't really want it. Tell me if I got this right. Very simplistic terms. Mm. Long time before the Angles came over from the mm. continent, Celtic people lived throughout what is United Kingdom the today. United Kingdom, yes. And then the Angles came, and, and they had they were stronger and had their mm. military, and they pushed the indigenous people to the more meager and hard-to-farm fringes. Yes. And England took the Angles took the best land, which became England, and the Celtic people got what they didn't really want to work, Scotland and Wales and yes. Ireland. Cornwall, even. And these are the points that the Anglo-Saxons who come over on the, as the, the Roman Empire breaks up they take what they like. You know, they subsume pre-existing Celtic culture. Deep soil uh, crops will grow. When they come to the mountainous wastes of Wales or of Scotland, they go, oh my gosh, we don't want that. So Angles became Angle land. And w- what's the derivation of the word Wales? Wales is, in fact, uh, an English term. It, it's ultimately a, a proto-Germanic term, you know, Valhaz. It means uh-huh. foreigner. Wales means foreigner. It means foreigner in Anglo-Saxon. You have the same word. Walloons. The, the Walloons are the foreigners the French, of the local yes, they, they're of the, the French, yeah. The French speaking in Belgium, they're non-Germanic. It means foreigner. It's a Germanic word, and it was used for anybody originally who, who lived within the Roman Empire. Okay. And so even the word walnut has that wow element in it. It was a nut that wasn't found in the German-speaking world, and so it's, oh, it's the foreign nut. What was the phrase you said earlier, if you got little and you've kept most of it? Mm, that's right. <laughs> you we started have, out with little and you still got most so of it. We started with nothing and we still have most of it. People tried to take it off us, but we still have it. And you're protecting the language. The, where you In your county, most people speak Welsh. How is the government promoting the preservation of the language? Well, where I live, school is taught in Welsh because it is the first language. And you uh-huh. can go all the way through to doctorate level in Welsh. It has uh, equal status in law. Therefore, all your your income tax and so on is going to appear in Welsh, as indeed they appear in English. But you have to be clear that the Bible uh, was translated into Welsh about 1600. And when it was translated, people looked at the Welsh language and think, oh, this is vulgar. And so they invented, as it were, a whole new version of Welsh, which was more Latinized, posher, if you oh, like. Oh, is that right? That's right. So nobody in the street, apart from ministers of religion, ministers of state, and university teachers actually uses the written form of Welsh when talking. 
This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're, we're talking with Martin Delandovitz, and we're talking about the foundations of Welsh culture. When you think of the foundations of Welsh culture, Martin, cities really are not a Welsh thing. Cities were established by the English that came in to subdue the insurgents, the Welsh people in the countryside. Is that right? Yeah, well, if you read, there's a, there's a guy who travels around Wales in, at the end of the 1100s, Gerald of Wales, Geraldus Cambrensis, and he says in his itinerary of Wales, Wales has no cities. It has no use of cities. And quite simply, it's a, the city exists, if you think about it, as a place where people go shopping. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But what if the surrounding land is so poor, so ill-provided that they, anything to shop. Exactly, they fend for themselves? And therefore, even if you look at the population of Wales in 1801, it was only half a million people. So would you say most of the cities would have started as garrison towns uh, to support castles by the in, English uh, overlords? In North Wales, yes. But, you know, cities, there were small settlements, very small settlements. It's a remarkable country for that. But, of course, the urbanization of Wales as we know it today uh, came with the in the 19th century. In the north, slate was produced and it roofed the houses of towns. So what we think of as Wales today is industrial age, exactly. heritage, the, the mining industry, yeah. the slate. Exactly. And that gave us towns. Now, also that gave us choirs, a very important part of Welsh culture in that when people came together in the workplace or indeed in the many and varied what were known as non-conformist chapels. They didn't conform to the established Church of England ah. and grew hugely, particularly in the 18th century. They started in the 19th century, but of course the great Methodist arrival of 1904 and these many and varied chapels were built. Singing started and of course in the workplace, once people start to come together to work in the factory, the coal mine, the slate mine or quarry, then they will start singing, and they will be male choirs. They, huh. they will not be mixed. So if you wanted a job in the 1800s, you had to work in the company mine, or the, the mm. town was a company town, yes. and you'd have to work in the mine, and you'd get one day off a week, and you'd gather mm. together, and you would, you would sing. Yes, and pe- people would actually sing during their work time. Today, as travelers, we can enjoy that? You can, male voice choirs. Male voice choirs are, how can one say, it's an aging thing. Young people tend not to join choirs in the same numbers that they used to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, can you still find it today? In oh, yes, indeed towns? you can. All over Wales there are choirs. And a good thing to do is why not go to their practice? Is a right. traveler welcome to go to a practice? Very welcome. You'll be made very welcome. You said that maybe you'd like to make a small contribution. Hmm. But their practice nights are good. Now, of course, they travel the world to give their concerts. Mm-hmm. But they always practice at home. So when you go to your bed and breakfast in some small town in Wales, ask, can ask. I hear the, the local choir? There is a website you can go on if you look up Welsh choirs. It has a map showing where each of them is and will give you a phone number and when their practice nights are. That sounds like a perfect way to connect with Welsh culture alive today. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Martin Delandovitz. We're talking about the foundations of Welsh culture. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Chris is calling in from Valencia in California. Hi, Chris. Hi, Rick. Hello, Martin. Bori da. I'm Bori da, yeah. Uh, yes, I, I spent a lovely week uh, a couple of years ago in North Wales and really enjoyed visiting the slate mines, the gardens, the countryside, and, of course, the castles. Mm. And the question I had was, um, it seems sort of a happy irony to me, but do the Welsh feel a certain satisfaction in seeing their proud flag flying over the once formidable iron ring of castles, English castles that were built to sort of keep them down? A couple of things to say. You know, the castles were built, in fact, the, the ones in North Wales to hold down uh, the people of Gwynedd, they were much more of a statement uh, than anything else. I mean, the, the cost of them is huge. The size of them, you've seen this, haven't you? They're vast. But, you know, that's 700 years ago, and Wales has greater 
problems, let's say, or more interesting things to worry about than things that happened 700 years ago. Yes, it's nice that the Welsh dragon flies over those castles today, but, you know, purely as buildings, they are marvels of architecture built all those years ago. They're, they're wonderful. But quite honestly, anybody who grinds an axe of 700 years old, is, well, they've, got to, they've got to get up to date. They've got to get up to date. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, which castles did you enjoy visiting? Carnarvon, Conway, and went over to Harlech Castle and Bomaris as well with the most. Yeah, those are, the, those are four of the best, aren't they? They are. Very, and each one is so very different. Which town did you stay in, Chris, while you were up there? I spent a week there, and because I was sort of on my own uh, during the public transit, the buses and trains and such, I stayed uh, a few days in Carnarvon because the buses sort of go out of there, and so it was easier mm-hmm. to visit some of the places. Visit uh, Beth Gellert and the, the slate mines there. And then I spent a few days in Conway so that I could visit Baldnick Garden. It was easier to get to, and also over Clindidno. You know, I really like Carnarvon and Conway. Which one did you prefer if somebody was choosing one or the other as a home base in the north of Wales? I think for, as far as if you're riding the buses, there's a great place if you're staying inside the walls of Carnarvon, the town, so it's easier to get to the main link where the buses are, yeah. for me. But I think if you had a car, you could probably stay in either. Yeah. But can I chip in here, Chris? And you've done something that I think was a very good thing to do. You use the buses, the public transportation there. And would you agree that provided you had a timetable and, and a watch on your wrist, it was an easy thing to do? It was very easy, and I went to the TI that's there in Carnarvon, and they had the updated timetable for me, and, and it was very easy. And the buses were on time, and a lot of people are riding them, and it's a great place to meet some people when you're, they hear that you're American, they want to know where you're from and mm. where you've been, and they suggesting places to visit while I was there, and that's why I actually ended up in Sandino for an afternoon and evening, because so many people had said, many Welsh had said, you must go. Clan Dudlow, that starts with a double L, is that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yes. Clan, it's the uh, resort, elegant old 19th century resort town a few miles uh, north of Conway. It is a great place, and a lot of Americans uh, don't even know about it. I, I just discovered it a couple years ago. Chris, good advice, and uh, thanks for your call. Thank you. Thank you. Bye now. Corinne's on the phone from Dartmouth in Nova Scotia. Corinne, thanks for your call. Hi, Rick. I just wanted to share, I guess, my experience, too. I've been to um, Carnarvon. First visit was about six years ago. And um, I went there because I knew that my ancestors originated from that part of Wales. And on my first visit, I went to the, um, the town office, and they were very helpful and let me go through some of their records. And I found the handwritten entry of the baptism of my great-great-great-grandfather. Wow. Oh. Um, I was very excited. I mean, they let me touch the books and everything. <laughs> and uh, so before I went again, I, I did some more digging, and I actually located a cousin I never knew I had who lives in Carnarvon today. And Gosh. as you mentioned, she speaks Welsh. It's her first language. Her daughter actually teaches it in one of the local schools. And she took me around to visit places that she's also into looking at our ancestry, and she she knew where they had lived. My uh, great-great-grandfather moved the family to Canada just before World War I because they had, I guess they would have had a pretty tough existence there. Looking at my family, the lucky ones got jobs in the slate quarry, Hmm. and uh, others would have had jobs as servants or... So I think they moved to Canada for better opportunity. But the experience that I had there was, it was incredible. 
we had spent some time in, in Ireland just before going back there. But I felt that as a traveler, I got to experience the Celtic culture as it is without the crush of tourists while we were visiting. And the people there were just incredibly kind. And as the previous caller said, they love to talk to you and find out where you're from and why are you here and how did you get here. And, and we, too, used the public transportation system there and found it to be quite easy. You know, that's a very good point, Corinne, is just when you go to Wales, regardless of how important the castle or the museum you're looking at is, just being in Wales, going from town to town, sitting on a public bus, talking to people, staying in a bed and breakfast, going to a pub for dinner, sharing a beer with somebody, you'll meet people. And that's the probably the most charming aspect of going to Wales, is just connecting with the culture. And it's so easy to do. And it's actually easier to do if you go away from where the tourist crowds might be. I found the same thing, and um, we stayed in an inn inside the castle walls in Carnarvon. And according to my cousin, it's also sort of the local favorite for dinner. But it also had two pubs. And we couldn't be sat down more than five minutes, and we weren't engaged in a conversation with whoever was sitting next to us. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was my favorite part of the visit. I love that. When I'm working on my guidebook, sometimes I just need to leave the B&B and go to the pub for dinner. And I sort of say, okay, you're just going to eat, and you're going to go back to work. And the local people don't let me. They make me talk. <laughs> they buy me a beer. They make me have a good time. And I just love that that passion for enjoying the moment and, and getting to know people that you and the experience when you go to a pub, especially in Wales. And this pub that is just my favorite place in the world. Like I tell people of all the pubs I've ever been to, there's this little pub in Carnarvon at the Black Boy Inn. Yeah, the Black Boy, yeah. At, at, on a good day, they might be able to squeeze uh, 25 people in there, but it's my <laughs> favorite pub in the world. <laughs> oh, no, you, you want to go there on a Friday night, we squeeze a lot more than 25 in there, I can tell you. <laughs> Martin knows it well. I can see the big... <laughs> Martin, you, you grew up in, in Carnarvon. Talk about the, the what is the Black Boy pub. Uh, the Black Boy is... Uh, well, it claims to be the oldest pub in Carnarvon. It's, it's run by John, and John, if you're listening, John, is one of the Really, he can run a business. It's a great business to stay, to eat, to drink. It's a great business. Anything he touches, he does well. And the Black Boy is expanding and expanding, buying property, more and more rooms mm. uh, for people to stay at. I, I, I would recommend it. But do you know there are many places you can stay within the walls of Carnarvon? Uh, mm-hmm. Black Boy, famous pub within the town. And a lot of very affordable B&Bs that are very friendly right in town. Right in town. Corinne, thanks for your call. Thank you. Happy travels. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Martin Delandovitz about traveling in Wales. Martin, I, I want to just a quick review. We're talking about the, the foundations of Welsh culture, mm. and so much of our sightseeing relates to the industrial base. Can you just quickly review some things to look for when we're in Wales that, that would be tourist attractions that relate to the industrial heritage? Well, as you know, we slate in the north, coal, iron, and steel in the south. Now, coal, iron, and steel, how can one say they're not as uh, active as they used to be? In fact, they're pretty inactive. But the slate mines are great. The slate mines are still working, but there there are, how can you say, good interpretive sites run by National Museum of Wales, for example, in the north, the Slate Museum of the north, and you can do the same thing in South Wales. Now, of course, we have lots of mountains. Uh, We have very poor soil, and so we have lots of sheep. Uh And so uh, we have uh, woolen mills, and you can visit woolen mills. You can buy woolens. And, of course, all those uh, coal, iron, and steel uh, needed transportation, so we had trains. 
And a lot of those trains today are run, let's say, as visitor attractions. You can, you can travel on those railways. Cute little miniature gauge steam yes, trains, yes. but they were for real in the oh, day. Oh, for real. And we had some of the first railways in the in the world, simply because oh, Richard Trevithicks, you know, the Penadaran Works, first working uh, steam locomotive in the world. And uh, you could, you, George and Robert Stevenson were building railways into the slate mines, into the coal mines. And so a lot of those are, are good to ride on. Martin, very quickly... I just love the goofy little jabs that the Welsh and the Scots and the Irish and the English have at each other. Can you just give me your most feisty little take on the on the Uni- United Kingdom as a Welshman? Uh, it's like a family. Uh, the family argues, it, it bickers tremendously, each with the other. And, do you know, you have to say that there's this element of resentment. England's always had the deepest soil and the greatest wealth. And so let's say Scotland in Britain and Wales in Britain, there's always a little bit of envy. You know, we're we're very well-balanced people in Wales. We have a chip on both shoulders, (laughs) you know. But at the same time, you know, England has always uh, historically leaned on Scotland. It's always historically leaned on Wales. But, you know, that's in the past. And we can't can't forever be jealous. We can't. It's a poor person who identifies himself by the fact that he is not English. That's, right. that's a negative, isn't it? It is. And it's going to produce a pretty rotten positive from, from that negative, isn't it? Be proud to be Welsh. Be proud to be Scottish. Don't, don't say, I'm not this. Just, just be good I at what you are. I am this. Yes, I am this, and be proud of it. Well, well, Martin, you certainly are Welsh, and it's great to be talking to you and, and feel your pride in your culture. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Rip. Rick Steves teaches smart European travel. At ricksteves.com, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours of Europe's top sites, and a world of information to help turn your travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. Begin your next trip at ricksteves.com.